Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is Caleb the Mechanic with Radio Free Catholic. And this is a special episode. This is a message specifically to homosexuals, bisexuals, and transgendered or transsexual persons. This episode is about a mature subject and is not for children. Neither is this message for anyone not spiritually, mentally, or emotionally prepared for this subject. For Catholics, this podcast covers details that may be a scandal. Discretion is advised. For those who this message is for, at times you're going to hear something that, that's so true that it rings in your head like a bell. Go ahead and press pause and take some time to mull it over before continuing. Don't worry, I'll still be here when you're ready. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. May the most precious blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ cover everyone who is listening to this podcast and protect all those who hear this message, that they may grow closer to Him and begin their path back home to Him who lives and reigns in saecula saeculorum. Amen. Our Lady of Sorrows, pray for us. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. First, I want to say, God loves you. If you're hearing this message, it is proof He loves you. Because I have a message for you that no one in any church, any Christian denomination has for you. Not even the priests or bishops in the one holy Catholic and apostolic church, which is the one true faith founded by Jesus Christ himself. And you may have noticed, the Catholic Church is going through a thing, and has been for at least 50 years now. Honestly, they don't know how to address it because we have priests and bishops who, like I did, don't want to face the fact that they must come to grips with their own impulses and sins. They don't want to believe that their impulses are wrong, disordered, and the result of the devils in their own lives. Now, I walked this path myself. This episode is a direct result of what I have learned from my own experiences as well as what I have been taught by a myriad of good and holy priests from conferences, during spiritual direction, in the confessional, and in the writings of saintly priests and the saints and doctors of the church throughout church history. You were not born this way. The idea that God made you gay or put you in the wrong body is a lie. Were we talking face-to-face, I could demonstrate countless tangible and obvious ways that God is not the one who created you flawed or broken or whatever. A craftsman, when he makes something, when he builds something, you know, we'll take a car, for instance. When the creation of a car is complete, it is as perfect as it can be. 
when a painting is complete. It is as perfect as it can be. And the artist, the craftsman, in this case, is a master craftsman. And the idea that he would create something that was ugly, that was distorted, that was broken, that was evil or wicked, that's just wrong. Now, homosexual impulses, they're the result of wounds, and they're both spiritual and emotional. They're almost always the result of some demonic activity because of mortal sin. And it's usually the sins of your parents or, you know, your grandparents or something like There's usually something to kind of carry forward. And we all have this since original sin. And in this age of pornography, it could also just be simply the exposure to porn. You know, a large portion of pornography is literally cursed by Satanists and witches during production. <clears throat> and I know that sounds crazy. But if you've been involved in this lifestyle, chances are you know plenty of people who are witches or New Ageists or occultists in some form or fashion. You might even know a Satanist or two. And so it's not outside the realm of possibility. You know, we know that voodoo is a thing. <clears throat> now, Parents usually introduce demonic interference in a few ways. One of the biggest, one of the ones that a lot of people don't really consider because you're a tin hat person these days, typically has to do with involvement in Freemasonry. A lot of people don't realize that every degree of initiation in the, Freemas in the Freemasonic rites include occult invocations of demons, which includes vows, and these vows have curses that are consequences of breaking them. And those curses can last as many as five generations. I mean, the curse of Freemasonic influence can last more than a hundred years for a particular family. There's also adultery or fornication outside of marriage, including same-sex intercourse and abortion. And the fact is, any mortal sin committed by parents can open the door, particularly if it's sexual abuse or molestation or something of that. And to be perfectly honest with you, those mortal sins actually, if they're committed against you, in particular molestation, rape, or any kind of physical or psychological or emotional abuse, any of those things can actually introduce it. And the mortal sin may not necessarily be committed by them. It might simply be committed against you. It might be someone else who opens the door. And it's usually as a result of sexual abuse. It's not always, though. The fact is, is very likely, you don't remember when the impulses began because the event that exposed you to this form of demonic oppression happened probably while you were too young to remember it clearly. I began having disordered sexual impulses as a toddler. I think I was maybe age two or three. And those impulses turned into, turned into a same-sex attraction. I think I was maybe five or six. 
And by the time I was 12 and heading into puberty, it was an absolute torment to me. Now today, it's more acceptable in American and Western society to identify as queer in whatever various form that may take. And so the emotional pain that comes from same-sex attractions is different. It may not even necessarily be as intense, but I bet it's still present. Now I mentioned demons. There are five levels of demonic interference that's common in people's lives. There's a sixth one that's not very common, but we're going to cover the big five. The first one is temptation. You know, the regular kind that happens during normal times. You know, you walk by a bakery and you see a chocolate cake in the window and you're tempted. You know, you want to go in and have some. Or the $5 bill that falls out of the pocket of the guy who's walking in front of you and you're tempted to maybe just take and pocket that $5 bill. Or the beautifully beautiful and scantily clad person who has absolutely no idea that they just became the object of your attraction. You know, the usual. Then there's obsession. And this is the next level up from temptation. And this is the form I'll be focusing on because this is the principal source of your trials and torments as it was mine. There's also oppression when when demons attack a person's relationships or possessions or health. You know, they might cause strife in the family. They might, you know, you might find somebody broke into your car or... You know, suddenly you find yourself getting sick. Now, I don't want to cover this one too terribly much, because in all honesty, if you're living the kind of life that this message actually resonates with you, that you know, where you clicked onto it and you're like, hey, I kind of want to hear what this is, then chances are you're living the life like I was, where you're bringing a lot of that on yourself. You know, you're generating the strife in your own relationships. You're, you're not handling your possessions maybe the way you should be, or maybe you're not taking care of your health the way you should be, you know, drugs or um, rampant social interactions that are maybe a little less or a little more um, direct than maybe we should be engaging in. And so I don't want to hover on that one too much because that one's a little bit separate and you learn about that one a little bit later. The next one is vexation. And this is in rare instances when demons are allowed to physically attack a person. Now, typically within the Catholic Church, this is, you know, a physical attack from a demon is usually reserved for a saint, someone who God wants to make more holy, who's willing to make an extra sacrifice for the salvation of souls. But if you're involved in the occult, This might also happen, because this may very well be a direct result of curses. The last one, the fifth one, is possession. And I don't really want to talk about this one too much, because everybody kind of knows this one. And that's when a demon takes either partial or full control of a person's body. Now, diabolic obsession, the focus of demonic, like the one that I want to focus on the most, is different from regular temptation predominantly in its intensity. You know, it's the impulse that comes on you like a tidal wave. It's uncontrollable and it's unyielding until you give in to it. It drives you to do things that if you had your senses about you, you would never dream of doing those things. It'll make you think that your affections are being returned when they aren't, 
or they'll cause you to believe an innocent interaction with someone has an ulterior or sexual motive. And it doesn't go away no matter how much you try to put it out of your mind. And relief from the obsession only seems to come when you give in to the desire in some way. And the closer you get to acting on the exact impulse, the greater the relief. Now, in the church, there was a great saint, a doctor of the church, St. Catherine of Siena. And she's notable for pointing out that homosexual acts are so extremely against the natural order that demons, due to the fact that they still have an angelic nature, you know, they're fallen angels, but they're still angels, they must flee from the sight of it. They cannot stay around when same-sex sex is going on. And what this means, what this translates into, is that the relief a person feels from the rush of endorphins and norepinephrine and, and dopamine during and upon completion of the homosexual act is amplified by the fact that they're no longer being tormented by the demons that were hassling them during that time. And this is why it feels so natural, especially the first time. You not only got the rush of endorphins, but for once you're being left alone. There's no guardian angel prodding your conscience and no demon harassing your soul. It's just you and your partner or partners who likely feel the exact same way you do, which usually translates into, oh, I think I love you, which is also not true. Now, the first time I had sex was technically in a threesome. And I say technically because it was with a woman and another man, but the other man and I did not engage in any sex with each other. And this was two men engaged in heterosexual sex with a woman. Now, this was the sin of fornication, obviously. But the act was still in line with the natural order, so my guardian angel was coming at me, chastising me for this sinful behavior and the circumstance itself. I mean, not only was I surrendering my purity, but I did so like this. And as if that were enough, were not enough, excuse me, there was a devil in my ear the whole time trying to get me to reach out and engage with the other guy who was a close friend and cohort from basic training. Now, this was while I was in the army during Don't Ask, Don't Tell. And it was only fear of the consequences, losing a friend, being kicked out of the army, and having to face the fact that I was gay that kept me from acting on the impulse. But the emotional turmoil was so intense that within minutes of finishing the act, I was a sobbing, broken mess. It literally terrified my friends because one minute everything was awesome. Sex was being had by all, and in the next, one of us was ugly crying in suicidal depression. Now, I was able to cover it somewhat by saying that, you know, because I was a Christian and wanted to wait until marriage, etc., etc. I mean, you know the deal. And I didn't have sex again for another three years. There was no impulse towards women whatsoever. I mean, after that last time, I mean, seriously, who would even dare? And I couldn't afford to expose myself as homosexual around my fellow soldiers for obvious reasons. Eventually, though, I would kind of fall into, you know, the rave and club scene of the 90s, which provided some cover due to the drug use and the general debauchery. I mean, nobody's going to dare to expose you unless they want to be exposed for all of their misdeeds. 
you know, rumors would arise, but they're just rumors. And back then, you practically needed pictures or video proof to really kind of push someone out into the open. Eventually, in this situation or arena, I began to feel more comfortable. No, more safe. So I entered the scene, as it were, and in the lead-up, the anxiety, the voice of my guardian angel, the temptation of my devil, they rose up in a cacophony of emotion right up to the very second everything started. But this time, with a man, the moment we started, that all fell silent. And there was just the two of us until we were done. And after that, peace and quiet for the first time in my life. And I thought to myself, this feels natural. Finally, I'm where I belong. And so that would, you know, carry on for about 15 or so more years, kind of off and on. The thing is, immediately before, during, and shortly after sex were my only real times of peace. The rest of the time I was in conflict. You know, these body parts that I have were obviously designed for specific purposes. And I had to convince myself that because there's this thing called science, that I could conceivably view my body as the machine that my soul just kind of inhabited, or some other such nonsense like that. And the whole time, deep down, I knew it was nonsense. I studied the human anatomy in an academic manner and learned to hack the systems, as it were. And then I shared this knowledge with others as kind of a means of seduction, and it worked often enough. I was involved in the occult as well, and as I'm sure you well know, very often these things, science, materialism, and the occult, when they're woven together in specific ways, it's kind of all about sex, more sex, and crazier sex. <clears throat> so how did I get out? I mean, the whole world today is saying that homosexuality and transgenderism is okay, so, you know, what's the deal? Well, the shorter answer is, God kept pouring out His grace as He kept calling me to come home. And chances are, if you're listening to me, He's calling out to you, too, right now. Now, Pope Francis is famous for saying, who am I to judge? I mean, that was the message I got. I got it from him, and he's correct. Catholics and other Christians get this, this part wrong quite often. Now, the fact is, is homosexual acts are evil. They are disgusting. You know this, and I know this. But the impulse, the attraction to members of the same sex is not evidence that you are evil. It's evidence that you're hurting, that you're wounded, that someone or something wounded your soul with a poison knife, and like any cut or wound, it hurts when you touch it or try to clean it. You don't want to pour iodine or alcohol on it to sterilize the wound, because that burns and that stings. And you might, you might cover it with a bandage or a cloth, but if you don't actually clean the wound, it gets infected, and it can go gangrene. And you probably don't know how you got wounded in this case, only that you have a great deal of pain whenever someone tries to help you. Now, this is perfectly normal. Unfortunately, it's not healthy, not even in the slightest. This wound, 
causes you to only look to yourself for love. It feeds your pride. It eventually becomes narcissism. That's why the gay movement is about pride. That's why the LGBT community is so intolerable today. I mean, 20 years ago, the pain of same-sex attraction resulted in some of the most beautiful art in the world. Gays were the most compelling creators of beauty in nearly every form of media from the 1960s until, you know, right around 2011. Now, the whole community is full of obnoxious, sanctimonious asshats. And this is what happens when tolerance transitions through acceptance and into arrogance. Recognizing that is the first step. This arrogance expresses itself in a few ways, and they're all related. God got it wrong. He made me this way. I was born in the wrong body. Now let's take a moment. Let's just suppose that you're an artist, maybe a painter. Imagine your masterpiece looks up at you from the canvas and says, You painted me wrong. I should be another color or a still life portrait. Now, you painted this magnificent picture. It's perfect in every way. And it has the balls to say to you, its creator, that you got it wrong. Now, on some level, I'm sure there's room for respect for the creation that has that level of audacity. But the fact is, is your painting owes you its entire existence. Should you become insulted, which to an infinite degree is your right, you could throw that painting into the fire to be destroyed. And that would be justice. And so it is with the man or woman who makes the claim that God somehow got it wrong. The master craftsman who paints every sunrise and sunset differently, yet equally beautifully, who formed the mountains and the valleys, the the prairies and the deserts, who commands the oceans and the storms, and formed adorable little puppies and bunnies and terrifying lions and bears and majestic horses, the God who made man in his own image, somehow got it wrong. Imagine that. So, clearly, God did not make me gay. And he did not make you gay, nor did he form you in the wrong body. Someone or something came along and wounded both you and me. I don't know who or when, specifically, but I do know that it happened. Now, perhaps it happened when my parents got married at the courthouse instead of the church. You know, what you would actually do if you were conforming to the sacrament of matrimony. Perhaps it happened when my father committed adultery, or when my mother had an abortion. Maybe it was when my grandparents got divorced, or when my parents were molested or abused, or when they used drugs to numb their own pain, or when they themselves got divorced. I don't know. I know I was not abused physically or sexually, and I don't think it was something that happened to me. For all I know, one of my grandfathers was a Freemason. I mean, I know one of my grandfathers was a victim of the MK Ultra program when he was in the army. But beyond that, I don't 
think I really will find out until the final judgment. But I also don't know who merited the grace that God poured out on him. I only know that as far as I can tell, I did not. And that should be of some comfort to you. Now, you may not have merited any grace that has thus far brought you to this point, and that is perfectly okay. God is the one with the plan for you. You don't have to figure the whole thing out on your own. You can trust the God who made you, because if he didn't desire to have you as his own, he simply would not have made you to begin with. It's a child's, it's a child's logic, which is how you know it's true. There's a simplicity and clarity to truth that you can never get from bullshit. And truth always passes the smell test. So what now? Well, I can tell you that the path to healing is not a fast one. I came back to the Catholic Church eight years ago, and it took me three more years before I finally made the decision to no longer identify as gay and fully pursue a life of chastity. Shortly thereafter, I actually decided that a celibate life after the pattern of the priesthood was probably the best. I live today, as I have for five years, as a hermit, which is not to be confused with a recluse. I live alone, in the world, with a regular job, and I pursue this particular vocation in thanksgiving to my God, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, with the help of His Mother, the Blessed Virgin Mary, and the one holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. Now, I started on this path through confession. Now, confession, if you don't know, is a sacrament in the church. And yes, I consistently avail myself of the sacraments. The Catholic Church is unique in the belief that through tangible and visible signs and acts, we conform ourselves to what Christ taught us through his apostles and their successors, the bishops. And even though it seems like there's a bunch of psychopaths running the church right now, the fact is nothing they do will ever change the faith. The priests and bishops, all the saints that came before, passed on to us the doctrines and dogmas that Christ gave to the apostles. And if you read or study the sermons and books and letters, most of which are still preserved in their original media, you can see proof that it has been unchanged since around 70 A.D., though a bunch of morons are trying to get us to change over to what came out in the 60s and 70s. I'm sorry, I'm just not taking the word of anybody who wore polyester bell-bottoms. And did you see their hair? It's like everybody wanted to be a clown. Yeah, I'll pass. Thanks. Now, we also believe with some very real proof that those little white discs of bread that you see in the altar that the priest has consecrated are actually the body and blood, full of the soul and divinity of Christ Jesus himself in the flesh. Now, I could go into all the miracles, the scientific studies that confirm the blood type and the part of the body, 
and specifically, you know, just as I know that Pope Francis knows for a fact that it's true because he oversaw one of the very miracles of proof when he was the Cardinal Archbishop of Buenos Aires. And there were some very interesting scientific studies about that that lined up very consistently with a lot. But I'll be blunt, there are many videos and podcasts and news stories, and all of them do a far better job than I can talking about that. Now, what does this mean for you? I mean, you know, what should you do? Well, start with confession. Go to a church and find a priest. Attend Holy Mass. Now, if the priest faces the people the whole time he celebrates the Mass, I can tell you with some experience that you'll eventually want to find another priest. These days, the priests that celebrate the Mass facing the altar most of the time are better equipped to help you. But I had to get in where I could, just like I still do today. Spend time in front of the Blessed Sacrament. Quiet time in front of the tabernacle or in front of our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament will bring about miracles. Honestly, I don't want to spoil it. It's just so simple. You go in, you sit down, you face him, and you let him do the rest. Pray the rosary. I'll tell you right now, every Catholic knows what the rosary is, and the faithful ones can even pray it. And you can get your hands on a rosary at any Catholic church, and they might ask for a couple dollars to cover whatever they paid for them. But a cheap $1 rosary serves the exact same purpose as one of the fancy ones with the sparkly beads or one of the tough ones made of parachute cord and metal. It helps you keep count. That's it. You get yourself one of the little pamphlets that has the instructions, and you're good to go. Remember, it's the words and the deeds. The self-discipline of the sacramental, the story, his story, that you're thinking about. And the prayers, particularly the Hail Mary, demonstrate to his mom that you want to know her son, Jesus Christ. After that, trust her. She'll bring you to him. Now, those are the basics, the starting point. And there's so much more I want to tell you. But if you seek it, you'll find it. Give thanks to God that you were born in this day and age. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of Catholics, good Catholics, who have podcasts and YouTube channels that are striving to bring you the gospel and the cheap teachings of the church. And they'll talk about the controversies, and they'll talk about the miracles, and they'll talk about the scandals. And they're not going to sugarcoat the civil war that's currently going on within the church or the bad priests who are harming the faithful. Now, they'll not always be absolutely correct, but they'll tell you the truth the best they can. And best of all, in this day and age, I mean, you can find the homilies and sermons of so many priests. Now, admittedly, some of them won't be great at what they do, and a few will just be kind of plain wrong. I mean, they're only human after all. But if you watch enough Catholic content, you will find the gems. And those gems will always be talking about keeping to the traditions of Holy Mother Church. And this is the point kind of where I want to tell you who to follow and who to watch and who to listen to. 
but that's not my place. I'm recording this podcast to bring you a message of hope, of love, and of healing. Now, I still bear the scars of what I've done and how I've lived my life, but they're scars. They're not festering wounds. I still bear my cross every day, the cross that is, you know, having to fight off the same-sex attraction and having to fight off all of those, all of that disorientation. But the desire to carry my cross and to do it well, that's now in my bones. You know, I prayed for years that God would just snap his fingers and just make it all go away. But the real trick the devil pulled on people attracted to members of the same sex was making us think that we're different than the rest of humanity. The rules are the same for all of us. Don't be a creeper. Don't be a perv. You're not an animal. You're a human person. Made in the image and likeness of God. Act like it. And that's it. That's the message. And you and I may never meet face to face. But know that I love you. And I look forward to seeing your beautiful face in heaven. I'm praying for you always. And please, when you remember to, spare a prayer for me as well. God love you. This is Caleb the Mechanic with Radio Free Catholic. May God bless you and the Virgin protect you. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen.